Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Carrie. And, and we're, we're identical, identical twins. twins. We are so excited to talk to you about all things related to church music here on Hymn Talk, Twin Talk. Now each week we will break down a hymn. It could be an old favorite or it could be one you've never heard of. But it is our prayer that you will worship with us no matter what song it is. So let's get started here on Hymn Talk, Twin Talk. Good morning everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. I guess it's time for us to officially introduce ourselves, because you may not know, I'm Kelly. I'm Carrie. And, and we're, we're identical, identical twins. And we are the co-worship leaders, music directors here at the church. Um, and this service today is just a perfect example of the kind of collaboration that we have. You know, we both just kind of worked together and took different things. Um, but besides that, we also are the podcast hosts of Hymn Talk, Twin Talk. We talk a lot about hymns on the show and a little about twins too. Yeah, a little about well, twins, mostly, mostly hymns. hymns. Um, but we love taking a look at, a, at an old hymn, diving deep into it, learning as much as we can about it. Sometimes it's so interesting about the composers, sometimes it's really interesting about the publishers, and sometimes, and most times, it's the words that we just love. So we already sang one hymn this morning in our service. Yes, All, All Glory, Laud, and, and Honor, like the perfect Palm Sunday hymn. Mm -hmm. We actually talked about this on the podcast last year. Yes. Such a great Palm Sunday so hymn. So if you have to, you can go back and see our previous episodes. We did All Glory, Laud, and Honor, and it is, at the time, was our oldest hymn that we had done. Right. But I think we have an older one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, all Glory, Lot and Honor tells the Palm Sunday story in great detail. You look at the words, they even say that children came yes. to sing praises to Jesus. We don't have a lot of hymns that mention children. Mm. All Glory, Lot and Honor does. This is an exciting day. The same excitement that was felt on that first Palm Sunday all those years ago. We feel here today. Yeah. It's a day of victory. Of triumph. Of excitement. As we welcome our King, our Messiah. Messiah, our Savior. What an exciting day this is today, as it was all those years ago, but it changes dramatically. The people go from praising Jesus to punishing him. They go from calling him a king to calling him a criminal. From honoring him and revering him, waving palm branches, to killing him on an ancient, gruesome torture device. We all know this torture device. We know that it was used to kill people, to punish them for their wrongdoings. On a hill, in, in front of everybody, for all to see. It was a, a cross, cross, a blood-stained, ugly cross. Now, this cross was used to kill people who did something wrong. And crucifixion was a unique form of punishment in the ancient world. It was cheap, it, and was, it effective. was effective, and it served as a powerful deterrent. It wasn't even for the most dangerous or the most violent criminals. Crucifixion was a punishment that was reserved for particular kinds of criminals and dissidents. It was really for those who were considered to be a big threat to peace. Mm -hmm. People like pirates, political agitators, rebels, religious heretics. They were the criminals that the state felt needed to be made an example of. They and needed to be stopped. And the Jewish people at the time, they were the ones who were most often being crucified on a cross. Mm -hmm. 
so that so coming up in this holy week we see jesus he was a jew but as far as anyone was concerned he was just a religious heretic and he needed to be stopped but for the first time in history the punishment of crucifixion did not stop the work that the accused person was doing in this case the accused was innocent he had done no wrong and he was not a threat to their peace he was their peace the accused was god when he was crucified everything changed the cross was not no longer seen as a gruesome torture device it had become something much more important instead of a symbol of torture it was a symbol of hope instead of being something so full of evil and hate it became something full of love and light and it was all because of Jesus Christ listen to paul in the book of galatians he finishes this book with these words the cross of christ alone can save as for me may i never boast about anything except the cross of our lord jesus christ because of that cross my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not what counts is whether we have been transformed into, into a, a new creation. creation and then later in 1 peter he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right by his wounds you are healed hundreds of years after jesus's death people were still talking about the cross we have a quote by billy graham he says the cross shows us the seriousness of our sin but it also shows us the immeasurable love of god I'm sure many of you have seen this kind of funny simple math problem. 1 cross plus 3 nails equals 4 given. given. The cross has been the inspiration for so many things, so many hymns and poems and even artwork. The Renaissance painter Raphael in 1502 painted this depiction of Jesus's crucifixion. That was 1500 years after the death of Christ. Fast forward just a little bit more and we're looking in the year 8 in the 1800s to today's hymn writer Elizabeth, Elizabeth Cecilia Douglas Clephane. She was born in Scotland on June 10th in the year 1830 and she lived about 30 miles outside of Edinburgh. And she is a female hymn writer, which we don't see all that often. It's always exciting to see a female hymn writer, but that isn't even what she was most famous for. When we started digging into this woman's life, she was more known as a philanthropist. It was so important to her that she give what she had that she shared what she had. We even read that at the time she sold her horse and her cart which she needed so that she could use the money to help the poor. And on top of that, she was described as fragile, delicate, shy. She was described as being an invalid. She had physical ailments. She really couldn't leave her house even that often. She stayed home most of the time. She did well at school. She was obviously bright, and something that she really loved besides helping people was writing poetry. She was home a lot, so she got to write a lot. 
she had an interesting perspective, a perspective of someone who knew Christ right. and knew what the cross meant, but also someone who suffered greatly in her earthly life. She also lost her parents when she was quite young, so she was dealing with that grief and sorrow. And with all of that, she was given a nickname. Her nickname was Sunbeam. 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 She was described as being happy and cheerful and helpful. Mm -hmm. She found great comfort in the cross mm -hmm. of our Lord Jesus Christ. She didn't look at the cross as a sign of torture. She looked at it as a source of comfort. How many of us can say the same thing? Looking quickly at the text of her poem, this is what she called the cross. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way. This is someone who did not have the easiest life, but she was a sunbeam for people who needed it. Now, she never published her poems. She never had any aspirations to sell them or make money off them. Unfortunately, she died when she was only 39. So just think of all what else she could have written after that. But so three years after she died, one of her friends, we're not really sure who, someone takes eight of her poems and submits them to be published. They did it anonymously, so we don't know who it was. She submitted them in 1872 to the Scottish Presbyterian magazine called The, the Family, Family Treasury. And along with the poems, there was a note. Mm -hmm. There was a note attached. The letter said that the poems expressed the experiences, the hopes, and the longings of a young Christian recently deceased. So those eight poems were published. Now, you might think in the Scottish magazine in 1872, there would be no chance of us finding it here in America, or it's making its way into a hymnal here in America. Mm -hmm. But miraculously, the famous music evangelist and songwriter, Ira Sankey, along with the famous uh, evangelist Dwight Moody, at that time were in Scotland on an evangelism tour. Now these two men had an amazing partnership and together they held tent meetings all over the world. They loved the Lord. They were committed to preaching the gospel. And they were committed to using music and worship in any way possible to preach. It is estimated that between the two of them and their tent meetings that they won thousands of souls to Christ. So the story goes that Ira Sankey found the magazine when he was in Scotland and fell in love with this poem, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. Now, he wanted to write music for it right away. The very next day, he actually sang his original poem, nobody had ever heard it before, mm -hmm. this original hymn, um, during a meeting that they were having where the Reverend W.H. Aitken was planning to speak. It was a lovely morning. There was a ton of people gathered. And he, Ira Sankey sang the song. And he writes this in his memoir. Ira Sankey wrote a memoir of his life. And this is what he said about this song. He said that the preacher, Aiken, was deeply moved by the hymn. He was supposed to go up and preach. But his eyes were filled with tears. And when he got up to speak, he said, Dear friends, I had intended to speak to you this morning upon work for the master, but this new hymn has made such an impression on my heart and evidently upon your own that I will defer my proposed address and instead speak to you on the cross of Jesus. Ira wrote that Reverend Aiken's sermon was one of the most powerful sermons he had ever heard. 
and many souls that morning accepted the message of grace and love. Now, we don't have Sankey's music. His music was eventually replaced. That happened all the time with hymns. Um, music would always be changed out. So eventually, we get to the music of Frederick C. Maker, born in 1844, a choir master and an organist who wrote hymn tunes. And he called the tune St. Christopher. We would love to share with you the full hymn with Maker's beautiful tune and Elizabeth Clefane's beautiful words right now. Beneath the cross of Jesus. Beneath the cross of Jesus. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw would take my stand. At the cross, at the cross,
hymn writer, Elizabeth, finds comfort at the foot of the cross. And her words draw us in, and we can imagine that we are too at the foot of the cross. Of course, when we look back at the story of Jesus' crucifixion, we can see, we can know who was at the cross that day. There are soldiers, the leading priests and teachers of the law. There are elders, Jesus' followers. Matthew gives us a specific account to what the soldiers were doing that day at the foot of the cross. In chapter 27, we read, And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. In verse 36, Matthew says that they sat down and kept watch over him. They watched a man die. It reveals just how hard the human heart can be towards our Savior. They just sat down and watched him. It speaks of coldness, indifference, hardness on the part of these Roman soldiers. These soldiers very likely were the same soldiers who crucified him. They nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. They sat down and gambled for his robe. They were so close to our Savior. But they didn't know who he was. They were so close to the living God. Yet in their hearts they were so far away from Jesus. The text says that these soldiers just watched him. They didn't watch the crowds of people. They didn't watch the two crooks that were on the other side of Jesus. They didn't watch the people passing by. We have to think that something about what Christ was doing on the cross captivated these soldiers. I mean, what do you think the soldiers thought when they heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them? Now, the old theologians over the years wholeheartedly believe that Jesus would have said, Father, forgive them over and over and again. over again and these soldiers just watched, watched him. him there was one thief on the cross next to Jesus who could see that Jesus was no ordinary criminal and he professed that he believed he said we are getting what we deserve me and the other crook but Jesus has done nothing wrong and what did the soldiers do they watched. they just watched the thief cried for mercy and said that he knew Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus amazingly says, Assuredly, I say unto you today, you will be with me in paradise. And what did those soldiers do? They, they just watched. Who else did Jesus see when he looked down from the cross? Standing there was his mother Mary and his beloved disciple. In the Gospel of John, we read, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. In his agony, 
In his dying breath, he is still looking after his mother. And Jesus knows full well he's about to die. He knows he'll be going to heaven. And so he entrusts Mary to the care of John. At the foot of the cross, the soldiers don't see what is happening. But we can see. We see the start of a new community being formed. The point that Jesus is making here, it's like he's saying, by virtue of what I'm doing right now, you two are no longer acquaintances. You're not just friends. You're not individual disciples. You, you are, are now, now a family. family. You belong to one another. Not by your choice or by anything that you have done, but through my suffering. Doesn't matter if you're soulmates. Doesn't matter if you took a compatibility test. Your family, no matter what. Jesus is forging this new community, this new relationship. We have been made new, and we have been put together as his forgiven people. The cross empowers us to live into this ideal. We live together as a community, as, as brothers and sisters. Mary and John, in that moment at the cross, this is the moment that teaches us that Jesus made us a family. The work of Christ at the cross made us this family. Jesus said, they'll know that you're my disciples by your love. love. Not by your convincing argument. Not by how much money you donate. Not by your podcast. Not by how good you write sermons and poems. And hymns. Yep. <laughs> by this. this, how you practice the love and the family relationship that Jesus forged right there at, at the, the foot, foot of, the, of cross. the cross. And this is not just when things are going well. That would be way too easy. This is not just when we're all doing okay. This is in the midst of our weakness and our shame and our sin and our brokenness. We can say, this, this is, is who I am. am. Jesus has shown everybody already, we have nothing to hide. Jesus. They thought he was coming in as a powerful king, but he wasn't on that cross in power and glory. He was vulnerable. He, he was, was uncovered. uncovered. And we can identify with others in the same way. Honest, vulnerable, open. This is who I am. Now, what about those soldiers? They've watched this whole thing. They These, had killed the man. They mocked the man. They... they gambled for his clothes. These are hardened men. They have seen so many people die. They have grown hardened hearts to dying men. They had seen it many, many times. But they had never heard words like this. The soldiers just watched. It was changing their hearts. How do we know this? Well, we read about one centurion in verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe, and they said, Truly, this was the Son of God. They watched him there. They witnessed the greatest event in human history. What a privileged few men they were. And in what can only be described as a miraculous moment, the centurion's heart was softened and his eyes were opened. We are privileged too. Mm -hmm. We come here. We get to hear the message. We remember all that Jesus has done. God has brought you here to hear this special message of love. 
the message of Jesus Christ, love come down. We can say, surely this must be the Son, Son of, of God. God. The Savior. Our Savior. The our Messiah. Our Messiah. He loves us. He died for us. And now we share that love with others. We share it here in our church family. We share it at FBC, but we also have to share it to the world, outside. They will know we are Christians by, by our love. love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that all people might come within the reach of your saving embrace. Clothe us in your spirit that we stretching out our hands in loving service for others, may bring those who do not know you to an awareness and love of you, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit live and reign, our God forever. Amen.